I want to uh, share from Luke chapter 2 for just a moment before we get into the message. Um, we're getting ready to start our three-day fast uh, that we do every single month. It starts tomorrow, and so the Sunday night before that, we always preach messages to encourage our hearts into prayer and worship. And we're in a special moment right now because many people in our spiritual family are going to be engaging in a much longer fast, um, a 40-day fast, that uh, was called by a dear friend of ours, Lou Engel. Um, he has, for years and years, called people to a John the Baptist lifestyle and to fasting and prayer. And he said he felt just a several years ago that the Lord was telling him that it, it took a John the Baptist movement to, to bring about a Jesus movement that the Lord wants to release in the earth. And so he's been calling uh, the last several years at this same time of the year, calling for people to engage in a Jesus fast, believing God for a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that fast actually starts today. So anyway, the next three days, we'll be engaging in our prayer room, special prayer meetings at 4 p.m., and take communion on Wednesday. And then for others that will continue on, this, whole, uh, this next 40 days will be a season of fasting and prayer. Um, so let's look at Luke chapter 2. I want to just briefly share this passage, pray for some people, and then we'll take a look at the word. Verse 36 says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him, spoke of Jesus, to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. This is a powerful passage. It's a passage that we receive much courage from, especially many that volunteer and that serve full-time or part-time in the house of prayer. We look at Anna's lifestyle and we recognize that the Bible gives us a pattern of prayer, of worship and prayer that sets precedent for the coming of the Lord. And so let me just give you just quickly the thoughts about this. If we figure that Anna got married around 17 years old, she stays married for seven years, and at around 24 years old, tragedy strikes her life. She's widowed. She loses her husband. And then the Bible tells us that at the time of this encounter that she has with the baby Jesus, that she's now 84 years old. So that gives us 60 years in between the time she was widowed and the time she has this encounter. And the Bible tells us that she served the Lord in fastings and prayers all the days of her life. So for 60 years, she gave herself to, to seeking the Lord in fasting and prayer. And it says this, that she was there in the moment that Simeon, coming in that instant, that instant was the moment that Simeon was prophesying over Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he would be a sign that was spoken against, and he's Messiah. She comes in that instant, and then this, this amazing ministry breaks forth from her life. Uh, she goes and becomes an evangelist, speaking of Jesus, to everyone that's looking for redemption in Israel. So she was a prophetess, she was an intercessor, and she was an evangelist. And we see this, that in the scripture, there, were, there was many in that generation. There was Anna, there was John the Baptist, there was uh, Simeon, there were others that were looking for Messiah to come. And undoubtedly, Anna's ministry of intercession, it, it was a uh, preface, it was something that helped to instigate the coming of the Lord in that day. I believe that in that moment when she saw Jesus, she had seen that moment many times in the place of prayer and intercession and that the Lord used her intercessions and that of many others in that hour to precipitate the Lord's coming. Well, we look at this and we take much courage because we see this, that across the nations of the earth right now, in our nation and in many nations, the Lord is raising up a global prayer movement. He's giving many the grace that was on Anna. He's putting that same grace on them. And they're crying out in communities of worship and prayer night and day. Our spiritual family, our little community, the Lord has graced us that we have had a constant worship and prayer meeting taking place for the last 14 years. I mean, it's absolutely stunning to me that it's actually continued 
but it's been by the grace of God in weakness at times and in and, and real just, just minimal ways, but it's actually continued with live worship and prayer nonstop for, for 14 years since 2006. Well, here's what we realize that as the Lord releases this grace on many, he's releasing it on many in our spiritual family, many that come in contact with, with our spiritual family. The Lord does this very thing to them. And so we have 45 staff that serve full-time vocationally in the place of worship and prayer. That's part of our spiritual family. But what I want to do tonight is I want to take a moment. I want to pray for you. If you'd say, you know what, I don't know exactly how it would work for me. I, I don't know how uh, the, 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 the time would work or, or, or anything like that. But there's something in my heart. I want to serve the Lord in a, in a full-time way, just like Anna did, just like many of our staff do. I'd love to serve the Lord in a full-time way. To, to give my life to worship and prayer, to intercession and, and praying and believing God for the breaking in of his kingdom and unto the second coming. We see that Anna was a picture of how the Lord uh, releases intercession before he came. And we believe he's doing that in a massive way before the second coming. So I want to pray for you. Maybe you're sitting there and you think, you know what, I don't know how that would work if I could possibly ever do that. But... In my heart of hearts, I would love to at least spend a season of my life where I, I serve the Lord in fasting and prayer, worship and intercession as my main thing. I mean, unencumbered from other work, I'd love to spend a season where that's my main vocation. Then I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the Lord to release grace just like what was on Anna. I'm going to ask him to release finances just like the Levites of old were provided for by the, the other tribes of, of Israel. I'm going to ask him to release finances to make that a, a reality for you. And then I want to ask him to release prophetic encounters, dreams, visions, um, prophetic words, confirmations of the timing and exactly how he wants to bring that to pass in your life. So maybe you'd say, I don't know how it would work, but I would like prayer for that because in my heart of hearts, I feel a nudge. I'd love to do that for at least a season, maybe a short season. Or maybe a long season. Maybe you don't know, but you say, I'd love to do that for a season. Uh, I'm going to ask the Lord to do those three things in your life. So if that's you, if you'd like me to pray for you, I just want to invite you to stand now. We have three-month internships in the House of Prayer. We have, I think, about 15 interns right now that are taking a season. They're, they're seeking the Lord and fasting and prayer just in an internship. Our internships are free. And at the end of this meeting, we'll have a, a little information meeting. If you're interested in finding out about even a three-month season, doing an in, internship with us, you could find that out at the information meeting at the end. All right. Okay, there's many that are standing. Could you that aren't standing, just put a hand toward these that are standing. Let's just engage our faith for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We see what your activity is in the earth. We see the testimony of Anna. And we recognize that you're coming soon and that you're raising up prayer all over the earth and you've given us the grace of night and day worship and prayer. So I'm asking you, God, for all these that are standing, that you would set them in the place of prayer just like Anna of old. I pray that you'd release a grace upon them like what Anna had to fast and pray and to seek your face. I also ask, Father, that you would release finance, tributaries and veins of finance to be able to supply for them so they can be unencumbered from other work. And Lord, I'm asking for dreams, visions, encounters, Holy Spirit confirmations to make it so real, so evident that they would just literally get to the point that they know that unless they follow you into this place that they would be in disobedience because you, you've spoken so clearly. So Lord, I'm asking make that so real and so rich in their lives. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody that agreed with that said amen. Amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. I love giving that call and inviting people into that prayer. It's interesting from my vantage point because I see you and, and I know the ones that stand regularly. Many have been taking that call and standing many, many times. Because they're wanting the Lord to, to, to make it so evident and, and make the way available. And then others of you, this is your first time you've ever heard that call and you stood. You said, I felt like something's in my heart says I want to do that. But I've watched it over the years, over 15 years since we planted, 14 years since we went 24-7. And uh, I've watched people stand multiple times and then they just find themselves 
This is what God does in their life. They end up serving the Lord uh, in, in night and day prayer as their vocation. It's a beautiful thing the Lord does. So I love that moment that we get to, to pray for people for that. All right, I'm going to share a message tonight called A Vision for Revival, A Vision for Revival. And I want to share a few testimonies, and I want to share uh, at least one, uh, maybe a few prophetic dreams. In my own heart, uh, this issue of revival, it's, it's one of the most kind of passionate things that I carry. It was 1996 when the Lord began to grip my heart with vision for revival. I remember uh, I had heard about the um, Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship and this renewal that had swept through there and impacted hundreds of thousands of people. And it was 1996 where we started hearing these testimonies coming out of Pensacola, Florida. And there was an, a revival that had broken out in Pensacola that um, we were hearing that hundreds and hundreds of people were getting born again. And it was thousands uh, by the summer of 1996. I remember reading uh, an article in Charisma Magazine said 18,000 salvations in this one church within one year. And I thought, wow, I've never heard of anything like that. Never, I mean, never even had a reference for it. 18,000 salvations in one year. And then I remember we got some videos. You ever... You ever see a VHS tape? Anybody ever seen one of those? <clears throat> we got these VHS tapes, and they were videos of the revival in Pensacola. And the one we got was the baptismal service. Now, many of us have been to the North Georgia revival where the, the Lord has released his presence in the baptismal environment, and people are getting baptized, and their lives get touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some get radically healed, delivered. Um, some get set free from addictions. It's, it's powerful how the Lord has used it. They're having service tonight, and, and many will get baptized tonight, and, and they will get touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what, what you see there at North Georgia is interesting because sometimes people will get baptized, and then they pull them up, but they don't quite come all the way up. They just kind of float them out the back of the, the, uh, out of the, back of the baptismal pool. It's nice, and it's really a, a really sweet presence of the Lord. Well, the videos that I got from Pensacola were nothing like that. They, were, they would baptize these people, and it looked like they were running an electrical current into that tub. Because they would baptize them, and they would they'd come out of the water flailing and, and wildly shaking. And they had, they had two or three big male ushers in the baptismal pool at all times. Because when the people came out, they were like flopping, and they would grab them. They just have to grab them and like rodeo them out of the baptism. I'd never seen anything like that. I was watching this. I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. It didn't look pretty. It, it was shocking. It was overwhelming. It, 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 it wasn't something that you go, oh, I want to try that. It looked, it looked rough. And, um, I remember I was sitting there with several people that I was on staff with at, this, at, this, at the local church that I was serving at at the time, and they, 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 when we saw the first few people go in and come out like this, they started mocking it. They said, that's the weirdest. I've never seen anything like that. That's so weird. Who would, that, that's crazy. And, and, and as they were speaking, the more that they spoke, the more my spirit started just get, like grieved. And, and I was the young guy in the room, but I remember looking over and I said, hey, hold on just a second. Don't, don't say that. What if this is God? And we kept watching, and they kept flopping, and it was, it was hard to take in. And then I remember the guy gets up, and his name is Steve Hill. He was an evangelist. He gets up, and he would preach these messages, and I don't, I don't think I've ever before or after ever heard anybody preach the power, uh, preach the conviction of the Holy Spirit, a, a convicting word of repentance with such power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm trying to say. I've, I've never heard anybody preach a word of repentance with that power and conviction of the Holy Spirit at that level. 
And I remember watching that. And after we watched the message, and then we watched on the video, hundreds of people run to the front. I, I, I didn't know, it was, it was a little freaky and scary, but I, I didn't know exactly, but I knew I just have to go to see that. I have to go see what that is. And it was in January 97 that I and several of our um, church staff, we went there for the first time. And it was, it was a phenomenon. And that's probably the, the, the best thing I can say about revival is revival is a phenomenon of God. It's not just a few good meetings. It's not a planned order of service. It is a phenomenon of God, and it's, it's where God comes, and he takes residency in a place or in a region. And we've all been to anointed meetings. It's not an anointing on an individual. We've been to healing meetings or evangelistic meetings where the, the, a certain individual is anointed in a certain way. It's not like that. It's where God has set down in an, in an area and there is no denying that the divine personality is present in a very tangible and real way. Well, I remember when we went there in, in January of 97, we show up and there are a thousand people waiting out front and it's 12 hours before the service. And I remember thinking, what the heck is going on in this place? Never been to a church service where they got there 12 hours ahead of time. Not, not a thousand people for sure. And I'm, I'm, we're out there in line all day in the Florida sun. And I mean, you're just, you're just getting baked in the sun. And I'm thinking, it, it, has everybody, have we all lost our minds or is this, is this real? And then I remember we finally get to go in. And when we go in, you know, there's an hour or so before service and you're trying to get, you know, a seat and it's just completely, it's just pandemonium. They've got ushers everywhere trying to, you know, herd the crowd in. And it was, from my, my first experience there, it, it was as if like that first chord on the keyboard when the worship leader began to lead worship, it was like the whole atmosphere shifted in one second. And it went from this moment of anticipation to this moment of presence that just in just one moment, it was so real. God is in this place. And I remember feeling like some kind of Holy Spirit pressure was just mounting and mounting and mounting. You know, can I get an usher just to ask them in the, in the lobby just to be quiet? Could we just get somebody, ask them to take that away? I, it's just too much. And through the service, this pressure is mounting and mounting and mounting. And I remember when he gets up to preach, I mean, I've never been so convicted in my life that I needed a savior and I knew I was born again. <laughs> I was so in need of a savior as he, this is attack of the bugs. That's the third bug that has literally attacked me today. Three for three, three services. But I'm sitting there, I've killed three ladybugs on this platform today. But I'm sitting there and while he's preaching a salvation message, I know I'm born again, and all I want to do is get born again. And he gave this altar call, and I literally watched hundreds of people run to the altar to get born again. I've never seen anything like that in my whole life. I mean, I've been to Billy Graham crusades. I'd seen Reinhard Bonnke videos, uh, but I had never seen anything like this. And real, I mean, like real sinners, like drug addicts and prostitutes and people running, I mean, from the grave clothes of sin, running to salvation in Jesus. Well, that altar call takes place, goes on for 30 or 45 minutes. And uh, then they say, well, we're going to pray for people for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so what happens is they have about... 100 people in this ministry team, there's thousands of people that have come to the meeting. 
a hundred people or so on this ministry team, and they just begin to pray for people. And I'm watching, I've seen people fall out in the spirit before, but I'm watching something that is so otherworldly. I mean, I remember seeing little intercessory ladies, just little five foot one little intercessory ladies go and put one finger on people's forehead and it will look like they got hit in the face with a two by four. Pow! And I'm, I mean, I'm like, what in the world? And I just remember seeing these, these little sweet men. I remember seeing this one little man, just really, he must have been about five foot three. And he would just go up to people, just put a finger on their forehead, fire. Just like that, fire. And when he did, boom, power was being released that was, I mean, knocking people completely out. I watched people hit their heads full speed on wooden pews, like, I mean, crack. Watch them hit their head, and I'm thinking, that person needs an ambulance. And then, just, and I remember watching this one guy, I watched him crack his head so hard, I, and I, I looked at it, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the first casualty they've ever had. You know, I don't know anything. And I watched him for 15 minutes. Laying underneath this pew, I thought, man, they've got to get a nurse. And I watched him come to, and I said, hey, are, are you all right? He said, yeah, yeah, God is touching me. I go, is your head okay? Yeah, man, that's great. Holy Spirit. I go, no, no, you hit your head harder than anything I've ever seen. Are you okay? Yeah, no, I didn't hit my head. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I definitely saw it. It was dramatic. It was dramatic. It was powerful. Hundreds and hundreds of people running to the altar. Hundreds of people getting, I mean, touched mightily by the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the radical, radical testimonies. I mean, real life change. Drug addicts, prostitutes, completely backslidden, lukewarm Christians, people with massive compromise, uh, I remember this one young man testified of how he wanted to murder his parents. And he got radically saved and delivered. And, and got he, the night he was planning on killing his parents, one of his friends said, here, let's go check out, let's go make fun of this revival. And they snuck in, and he, the power of God gripped him in that service. He got delivered and set free. Beloved, I'm telling you, there is... There is no extent to the power of God. What we experience mostly is God's omnipresence and a slight touch of his manifest presence. But I'm telling you, there is something so much grander when the Lord steps down into a place and he comes in a, in a uh, significant manifestation, it shifts all the power bases in a region. It transforms lives. It disrupts the society. It, it, it shifts the, the demonic strongholds. Everything changes when the Lord comes in revival. There's seasons of awakening where the Lord steps down, and, and when he does, everything changes. And I, I made myself a student that year, 97, I made myself a student of revival. I read 25 books on revival in six months. And it marked me. It branded me with a vision for something so much greater than church as usual. If God is infinite, and he is, and if the Bible promises us greater works, and it does, and if we have the day of Pentecost as a biblical and historical precedent for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I just believe we have no business living beneath the standard and the promise that's been offered to us through the scripture. Am I making sense? And so I just have this aching and longing in my own soul. That we would see with our own eyes, God stepping down in a way that would transform not just our spiritual family or even our county, but transform our nation. I have such a vision to see a third great awakening in America. In fact, the very thing that the Lord used 
to compel me to do night and day prayer was the vision for revival. I figured we need to pray until breakthrough happens. And somebody said to me one time, sort of sarcastically, they said, well, why don't you just pray all the time? And I went, that's not a bad idea. And it was from there that the Lord gripped me and put me into the place of night and day prayer. Of course, I'm believing for much more than revival. I'm believing for the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. But on the way to the coming, there is coming a massive move of the Holy Spirit. There's coming a third great awakening. There is coming an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the day of the Lord. The Bible is so clear on this that will transform the earth. Okay, I want to share with you a dream that a a pastor friend of mine had. um, Well, he had it February 14th, so that's just two weeks ago. And... uh, He's a, he's a younger man, and he's, this guy has a prophetic gift. I remember one time, he has a, he has a seer's anointing where he um, will see angels and demons physically with his, with his own eyes. And uh, I remember one time I asked him, I said, hey, if you ever see any angels around me, please just let me know. And I was, I was with him in a meeting one time, and, and he goes, and I went, I looked at him, I go, Whoa, me? He goes, just like that, and I go, Oh, come on, man. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm just joking. I was like, Ugh. Prophets with a sense of humor. Nice. Anyway, then about three months later, I remember he came to me with a completely different look on his face. He looked like he'd seen a ghost. He goes, I, I, I need to tell you something. I go, well, what? He goes, you were walking around the altar praying for people. I said, uh-huh. He goes, you had two 25-foot angels, one on either side of you, escorting you everywhere you went. I said, you're not making it up. He goes, no, I'm not making it up. He goes, I saw the angels. I couldn't figure out what they were doing walking around in the altar. He goes, and I realized they were following you everywhere you went. And he's, he's got a significant seer's anointing. He's, seen, he, he's described to me many, many different things he's seen. Principalities, demonic oppression, angels, all sorts of things. Well, he had a dream two weeks ago. And uh, I, just, I just got it from him this morning. He just sent it to me this morning. And uh, it's powerful. I want to read it. He said, I was standing in what I thought to be a forest, and I could see, like gold, the Spirit of the Lord blowing across the face of the earth with hurricane force wind. I could see, like gold, the Spirit of the Lord blowing across the face of the earth with hurricane force wind. The sky was golden. The wind was golden. Everything was being touched by this golden wind. And I hear a voice like a prophet. And it's a prophet's voice that he recognized. It says, I hear a voice describing, and it says, an Acts 2 outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the things this voice was saying, this audible voice, they were saying, a great outpouring of the Spirit is coming. A mighty deluge of power. The Lord will release a spirit of prophecy upon the sons and daughters, and they will prophesy. He said, I looked, and then I realized that the trees that I'm surrounded with are all uprooted. And he said that the root systems of the trees uh, were often larger than the visible tree above the surface. And he says, I can see all the exposed roots, and they've all been uprooted by this golden wind. And as I examined the roots, he says, I suddenly hear the the audible voice again say, there is no safety in the Republican Party, nor the Democratic Party, nor streams of ministry or affiliation in the body of Christ. Wow. There is no safety in the Republican Party, nor the Democratic Party, nor the streams of ministry or affiliations in the body of Christ. He said, I had an immediate thought in the dream when I heard this, Christian Republicans will be the most surprised and disrupted by this move of the Spirit. I begin to hear the prophetic singers from the prayer room, and they begin to sing a chorus, no one is ready, no one is ready. No one is ready, no one is ready. 
It was notable because there was great goodness and disruption in this move of the Spirit. And so he, he said some thoughts. He said, um, there's an Acts 2 move of the Holy Spirit that is coming to this nation and many other nations, and it will be unprecedented. Unprecedented means it doesn't have an example that you can point to and say it's just like that one. Many in the church are not ready for what is coming. They are underestimating the power of the Holy Spirit and the jealousy of the Lord. Political and religious allegiances and affiliations were highlighted as the trees that were uprooted by the wind. The trees that were uprooted were not oaks of righteousness. Rather, the trees symbolized institutional power bases that promote carnal strength and fleshly indulgence. How can the trees possibly be uprooted? They're so strong. That's what he thought. They were old, large trees. And then he said this, some believers have misplaced confidence in political or religious affiliations. They are puffed up with a false sense of confidence from these things. This way of thinking is like a rotted root system. Jesus confronted the religious institutions and leadership in his day. Their confidence was rooted in religious tradition that was disconnected from the heart of God. Then he put Matthew 15, verse 13. But Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. He said, When I woke up, 1 Samuel 3.11 was highlighted to me. This verse was the decree of the Lord over the leadership of the day. It highlights a time of political and religious transition in Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. Beloved, I believe this, that there is a massive revival coming to our nation, that we are going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is unprecedented. There's coming a third great awakening in America, without a doubt. I'm absolutely confident of this point. When it comes, I, I'm not sure. I don't know the timing, but I know it's coming. And it's going to come in dramatic fashion, and it's going to come with a disruptive power that is going to turn things upside down. The Lord is not going to allow false systems to bear his name. In other words, systems that are not rooted in his values and his, his uh, convictions his culture, that bear his name. He's not going to allow them just to continue to bear his name. He's going to flip them upside down, just like he flipped the tables outside in the outer courts of the temple. He is going to flip those things, and he's going to do it with his power. It's going to be a very confrontative move of the Spirit. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be costly. It's going to be, I mean, massive in salvation and healing and deliverance. But it is going to be costly in that the only affiliation that we'll be able to have through it is Jesus Christ. I um, Obviously, the political winds are getting ready to, they're, they're kicking up again right now. We've got political debates going. We're going to have a, a, an election this year. And um, <clears throat> I'm... I'm so aware that in both of our, our major political parties in America that you have people that claim to speak for God. And I just think, well, you can't have on both sides people speaking for God if they're saying the, the opposite thing from one another. That's impossible. And then what I realize is that there's a truth that God speaks for God and that most of what we hear in the political parties doesn't bear the word of the Lord. And I believe that when the Lord releases this move of the Spirit, the only candidate that he is going to endorse is going to be Jesus Christ. He's going to endorse Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every other knee has to bow to Jesus. Now, I want to give a few thoughts on revival so that we can get our hearts kind of plumb lined appropriately 
Um, this is something that, as I said, I've prayed for for, for many years, uh, strongly since 1996, so something like, whatever, 24, 25 years now. Um, I have been a part of so many fasts for revival, and here we are again. We're doing another fast, the Jesus fast. We're doing it for revival, the breaking in of a Jesus movement. Uh, I've been to so many meetings, prayer meetings for revival. Um, and, and one of the things I've learned is that God will move when God wants to move. He will move when he wants to move. He calls them times of refreshing, appointed times for the recovery of life and breath. And uh, I was thinking about it over this past week. I've probably had... I don't know how many dreams I've personally had, many, but uh, I've, I've probably had at least, between the dreams that I've had and the dreams that have been given to me, at least a hundred dreams that people have given me about a massive revival that's coming to our nation. I mean, just so, so, so many over the years. And I'm, and I'm extremely convinced of this. Well, let me tell you one story before I actually get in the Word, teach these few passages. I'll tell you one of, oh, I'll tell you one of the, the profound prophetic words that was given to me about revival, uh, especially in Atlanta, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I remember it was, uh, it was 2004, and uh, I was getting ready to move back from Kansas City to Atlanta, and we had a training for people who were interested in helping us start the house of prayer. And so people from Atlanta came for a week to Kansas City uh, to, to just get trained, to get encouraged and, and envisioned so that when, when I moved back in a few more months, I was getting ready to move back in the fall, this was like the summer, that they would have, you know, vision to help us get the house of prayer started. And I remember we were there and, and I had Mike Bickle come and do a, a question and answer with that group. And and somebody asked, I don't remember who it was, but somebody asked, have you ever received a prophetic word about revival coming to Atlanta? You don't remember who that was, do you? Was it, was it John and Connie Seibel? Yeah, I think that sounds right. John and Connie Seibel, old, old dear friends of ours. Micah plays on our, 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 our worship teams. Uh, they're, Micah's mom and dad. So they've known, they knew Mike for, for years, and they asked, they said, uh, do you have any prophetic words about revival coming to Atlanta? Now, mind you, I've been in Kansas City at this point for about nine months. I had been Mike's main chauffeur back and forth to the airport. I'd been meeting with him weekly uh, on a number of, of uh, issues, getting trained. And, and, uh, and, and so they asked that question, and he goes, well, yeah, actually I have. And my ears perked up because he's never told me anything about this. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, I would have liked to have known this. And so he said, he goes, yeah, the first time I met Rick Joyner, he said, Rick Joyner told me that the Lord had spoken to him that Kansas City was going to be a, a major revival hub. And he named several other cities, and Atlanta was one of them. He said the Lord showed him that Atlanta would be a revival hub along with Kansas City and other places. Well, then he said, and he goes, and then the first time that I met Bob Jones in 1983, he told me that Kansas City was going to be a massive hub for revival, and then he named several other cities, and he named Atlanta along with Kansas City. So Rick Joyner, Bob Jones, and he said, and when I met Paul Kane, and these are all prophetic men, he said, when I met Paul Kane, he told me, the Lord showed him that, at, uh, that Kansas City was going to be a massive place of, of revival, the moving of the Spirit, and he named Atlanta with three or four other cities. He said, and it, it, I took note that all three of them named two of the exact same cities. They all named Kansas City, and they all named Atlanta. And I'm sitting there listening to this. He goes, so over the years, I always paid attention whenever prophetic people would say that they've gotten a word that revival is coming to a certain city or certain cities, he said, and over the years, in addition to those three men, probably a half dozen or a dozen prophetic people have given me a word that revival is coming to Kansas City, 
He goes, and then I would always say, and any other, any other cities, as the Lord showed you any other cities, and they would always name a few others, and he said, and then they would always name Atlanta as well. And I'm sitting there hearing this for the first time. Now, mind you, this is 2004. I'm in this thing for revival, and I don't even know that we've got one prophetic word for revival in Atlanta yet. And he says this thing with, you know, 40 people in the room. I go, hey, why didn't you tell me that? He goes, you never asked. But I mean, a, a dozen or so key prophetic voices had given Mike that word over the years. Well, I mean, since that time until now, I've probably received a hundred words. I mean, dreams, visions, personal dreams that revival is, is coming to Atlanta. I'm so convinced uh, from, the, from the prophetic testimony that revival is coming. But I don't even have to be convinced from the prophetic testimony. The word of God is absolutely clear that a massive move of the Spirit is going to cover the earth before the Lord returns. So I want to just look at a few verses to cause our hearts to come to faith because I can tell you stories and dreams, but ultimately our faith is in the word of God. Amen? Acts chapter 3. I just feel the Lord even rolling in here. Some of you, you've prayed and believed for revival for years. And he wants to refresh your vision. And some of you, you haven't ever thought about it. It hasn't been a, a main thrust of your life. And the Lord is trying to sign you up as an intercessor for revival. Acts 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So with Peter, he's breaking down what it takes to get saved. He said, what must we do to be saved? The multitude. Peter says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. I want to be clear, there is no salvation without repentance. Amen. There's too much where we just skip over this idea. We, we just say, ask Jesus into your heart and, and without any repentance. No, no, repent means you turn away from your former manner of life. You reject living for yourself and you embrace living for Jesus. You make him the king and the captain of your life. He says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And then he says this. He actually is now going to slip into a prophetic word about the season before the Lord returns. He says, so that, you're, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ. So he, he, he butts up against this idea that he may send Jesus Christ, the coming of the Lord. He says that there will be times of refreshing unto the coming of the Lord. That's the point. Now, this phrase, times of refreshing, it's the closest phrase in the New Testament that we have for revival. That word times is the appointed times. It's the kairos times. It's the times that God has set aside in his calendar. God knows when they are. And he set aside these times. And he says, when, when those times come, when the times come to the fulfillment, this is what I'm going to do. He says, I'll release refreshing. And that, that word for refreshing, it literally means a recovery of breath or a recovery of life, that Greek term. And so what the Lord is saying through Peter is that there are appointed times for a recovery of life to come. Many of them. 
There will be many appointed times for a recovery of life. And this is why when you look at church history from the first century until now, I can point you to different times and different seasons where the Lord moved in power in the church and there was a massive recovery of life that took place. For instance, in Wales in 1904, for about three years, there's one of the mightiest revivals that the earth has ever seen. Evan Roberts was the principal figure in that revival, and at the end of two years, they took a census in the nation, and they found that 100% of the people that answered on the census said they were born-again Christian. 100,000 were reported to be born again within the first six months of this revival, and it took off like a fire across the nation. And the stories that came out of the Welsh revival in 1904, they're fantastic. They're, they, they, they're so otherworldly, it seems like fantasy, but it's not. It's recorded historically. I mean, to the extent that the major industry in Wales at the time was one of the major industries was coal mining. And so many coal miners got born again that they, they had to change how they, how they actually did the coal mining industry because of this, that they were rough and, and carnal men that worked in the mines, and they had trained, many of them had trained their horses with vulgarities. And so when they got born again, they didn't want to speak the vulgarities to their horses. They had to literally get brand new horses to retrain them all. I mean, there's so many stories that came out of the Welsh Revival. It was a time of refreshing. Well, what I explained to you that happened in Pensacola in 95 to 2000, 1995 to the year 2000, that was a time of refreshing. One of the major revivals that has impacted the nations of the earth happened in Los Angeles in 1906. It's known as the Azusa Street Revival. In a time of racial tension, the Lord releases a mighty move of the Holy Spirit through an African-American man named William Seymour. And you got to love the Lord's sense of humor. He goes, I'm going to do this thing completely opposite of what the prevailing culture is going to would expect. I'm going to use an African-American man, and he's going to be blind in one eye, and his name is going to be Seymour. Because God doesn't look the way that men look. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And that is where the charismatic and Pentecostal churches, every charismatic and Pentecostal church in the earth right now has its root system in the Azusa Street Revival. And the stories that came out of the Azusa Street Revival, they are shocking. They are amazing. There's a book, you just got to get it and read it. It's called, They Told Me Their Stories. They Told Me Their Stories. It's eyewitness accounts of the Azusa Street Revival. And it's, it's people that were young during the revival that were interviewed toward the end of their life. And they're recounting the stories of Azusa Street. And, and there's specific testimonies that are just mind-boggling. Uh, the, these young people, they'd be 12 years old. And the glory of God would roll into this barn... So they're all seeing the cloud of glory tangibly. And they said that William Seymour, he would keep his head in a crate. He'd be on the front row on a pew with his head stuck in a crate. This is how he's leading the meetings. And they would worship and pray. In many meetings, he would just stay with his head stuck in the crate. And the glory of the Lord would roll in. But they said when the glory of the Lord would roll in, massive signs and wonders would begin to break out. Healings, dramatic healings, and the eyewitness testimonies talk about how uh, different ones literally physically saw with their own eyes limbs form and grow out of places where people had, had, had lost an arm. The limb would grow right in front of them and grow out in the glory of God. Children telling testimonies about how the glory of the Lord rolled in so richly and so deeply that the fog of the glory of God was a perfect place for them to play hide-and-go-seek. They literally would play hide-and-go-seek in the glory. Now, that's a good church service, people. Azusa Street, the, the fire uh, department was called on multiple occasions 
because passerby, people passing by saw fire coming off the top of the building. The glory of God had set down on that place. And Frank Bartleman, who was one of the key intercessors to see that revival break forth, he said, the color line was washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved. There's something so much more, so much grander, so much greater available to us. If I could somehow just, just prick your holy imagination to get on a course to believe. And if we could all just lean and press in believing for that something more, I tell you there'll be that moment where that, that reality, the heavens will rend open and the glory of God will be poured in. And this dream my friend had about the golden wind, it will begin to blow. I believe that there's a time of refreshing that God has set aside for America that there's a third great awakening. It's going to dwarf the other two awakenings that America has seen. It's going to dwarf Brownsville. It's going to dwarf Azusa Street. I believe we're going to see something that's going to see a billion people worldwide swept into the kingdom of God. I believe that. I'm not living, I'm living for a, a few big days in front of me. One is the day of this massive outpouring. One is the day of the Lord's return. One is the day that I stand before him and give an account for my life. I'm not living for a little bit of an outpouring. A few people fall on the floor, get one or two testimonies. I, I want those days, but I want the big R, the big one. We're not doing night and day prayer so we get a, you know, a week of good meetings. We're doing night and day prayer because we're attacking the heavens over the city. We're coming after the brass heaven. We are attacking the brass heaven until that thing breaks open and Isaiah 64 becomes true in our day. Oh, Lord, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to the nations. Beloved, there is a, a day coming where he is going to make his name known to the nations. That day is a time of refreshing. It's, the, it's this one of these Acts 3 times, a kairos moments that God has set in his calendar. Well, let me just jump from there back one page, Acts 2. See, the times of refreshing are all like pearls on a strand, and they all lead to a, a giant gem, this massive outpouring, this global awakening that the scripture promises. Acts chapter two, we've quoted this verse many, many times. Peter again, now he's quoting Joel from Joel two. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. There is a comprehensive outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming to planet earth that will touch and influence every single society on the planet. That's coming. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. When? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Revelation chapter 5, I want to just give you this verse and then I want to call us to pray. But Revelation chapter 5, it shows us the impact of that awakening that Joel and Peter prophesied. There's coming a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the day of the Lord, before the day the Lord returns. Revelation 5, it shows us this. It says this phrase, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood 
out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In Revelation 7, we see the exact same phrase, every tribe and tongue and people and nation standing before the throne of God. And they've come out of those last three and a half years of tribulation on the earth. That phrase, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, means this. That even right now, as I stand before you, that there are literally thousands upon thousands of unreached people groups. But there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen before the Lord returns that will see a revival spirit invade every single last one of those people groups. Until this, that we have testimony from the scripture that people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be standing before the Lord having laid their life down for Jesus. There is a revival spirit that will invade every society, every tongue, every dialect on the globe. It is coming, and it's coming in this Acts 2 prophesied outpouring. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And the outcome of it will be every tribe, tongue, people, and nation standing before the throne of Jesus. Beloved, that's what I am setting the trajectory of my intercessions for. Now, I want to believe for every kind of momentary breakthrough. I want to believe for the the healing right now. And and I want to believe for the deliverance right now and the salvation right now. And all of them like, like pearls on a string leading to a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want to tell you. I'm not just looking for that momentary breakthrough. I want the big R. I want the global breakthrough. Amen. And, and this is the thing. It's not enough just for me to get excited about it and every six months talk about it. I want to call you to get a biblical vision, a biblical vision of what the days ahead hold. And one of the key components is an outpouring of the Spirit like we have never seen before. I'll just end with this. In 2001, when I was a youth pastor, we had an eight-month season in the, in the ministry that I led where the phenomenon happened. We had had lots of good meetings, but something broke in August of 2001, and the phenomenon of revival happened. It was small. I mean, it com- compared to history and compared to what's coming, very, very small. But for us, it was the biggest thing I'd ever personally experienced. We literally saw hundreds of young people get born again. Uh, 600 young people get born again just in my youth group in six months. And fire fell. Conviction fell. And power fell. And I, I mean, I just witnessed night after night after night, completely unsaved kids, drugged to church by their friends, some coming to make fun and to mock. And when the worship would start, the atmosphere would shift. And I, and I would watch that thing just settle over the room. And then to get up and preach in that environment, it was as if my tongue was on autopilot. And then I would just begin to give an altar call. And the very kids, I watched them. They come in to mock and make fun. And they're weeping uncontrollably under the Holy Spirit's conviction. And they come and find themselves face down in the altar, crying to God for mercy. I saw it happen week after week after week after week. We didn't even count the rededications. The 600 were only first-time salvations. Because the Christians would come in and they would all answer the altar calls. It was the most significant experience of the presence and the manifestation of God's power that I've ever experienced in my personal life. I've been to revival meetings. Now it was happening in the ministry that I led. And it was uncontainable. I remember I would leave the meetings. My wife can testify to this. I would leave the meetings, go home, and I'd be in my bed jerking and shaking till 2 and 3 in the morning getting hit with like lightning bolts, jolts from the Lord. It was absolutely otherworldly. 
And I just tell you, it wrecked my life. Because whatever I thought the bar was, the Lord blew the roof off the bar. Whatever I thought the high bar was, he just completely ripped that and threw that away. I'm so grateful for the way the Lord moves in services. I'm so grateful for the, the outpourings we've seen in, in our little faith family. I'm, I'm so grateful for how the Lord moves and touches and delivers. But I want to tell you, beloved, there is something so much more significant, so much more grand and glorious that the Lord wants to release. And I will tell you, in that place, every personality melts away. And the only personality that's exalted is Jesus. This is what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about something that hits just church services. I believe when we see this outpouring that's going to come, it's going to hit the academic sector. It's going to hit the financial sector, the business sector, the arts. It's going to hit so many sectors of society. I'm convinced we're going to hear testimonies coming off of GGC's campus that are going to blow our minds. I believe we are going to see something with our eyes that will absolutely dwarf anything and everything else we've ever seen. And it's going to be comprehensive throughout society. And I just, I just want to... I just want to put that vision in you again. For some of you, I'm fanning what you've already kind of believed for in days past. Some of you, 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 you know, there's something igniting in your heart even right now. But I tell you, there's an outpouring coming of proportions that is going to be so dramatic, and it will be costly. It will cost us. It will be energy that we have to give in serving the Lord in a way that I don't know that we've ever had to. When, when the outpouring of this magnitude comes, the lines don't stop. The needs don't stop. The answers keep coming and the needs keep coming. And it requires the people of God to be willing, like Psalm 110 says, in the day of his power. He says, he says it very faithfully, very clearly. In the day of my power, my people will be volunteers. They will be willing. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's stand.